Welcome to Let's Face the Facts, the rewatch podcast for the classic sitcom, The Facts of Life. Join us each week as we synopsize, analyze, criticize, and ultimately idolize the show. And now, here's your host of Let's Face the Facts, the wonderful David Almeida! Thank you, Matthew Arder. Welcome back. It's another week, another show. Thank you for downloading and pressing play. This week, Matthew and I welcome Dominic Rothbard to the show. Now, this is an interesting situation. I don't know if this has happened much, maybe only a couple of times on the show where we don't know Dominic. He was a stranger to us until we got onto the Zoom call and uh, met him and had him on the show. The reason why we have him on the show is because he also has a Facts of Life rewatch podcast. Yes, he started his show at the exact same time I started this one. It's, it's really kind of creepy. I mean, my initial reaction when I discovered its existence was, well, shit, because I had thought this was the only one out there. I couldn't find another Facts of Life podcast. I thought that's what made this show unique. And I looked back and I was like, oh my God, this was the exact same time. We had the same thought and started it uh, right within a week, I think, uh, of when we dropped our first shows. So, uh, you know, hey, there's room for everything and many, many different shows on the internet and in the land of billions and billions of podcasts. So it is all good. And I saw this as an opportunity to connect with another content creator super fan. And he does not disappoint here. I cannot wait for you to meet him. And of course, have a listen to his show called The Facts of Facts. And the premise of his show is that he is a Facts of Life super fan and his friend Britt Lundborg is a newbie. She is completely unversed in the land of the facts of life. So it's these two very different perspectives, and it's really a lot of fun. And uh, let's let's I'm going to shut up now and let you just hear. We had a great time because clearly he is a kindred spirit, and Matthew, Dominic, and I have a great time discussing season nine, episode one, the first episode of season nine. Oh my goodness. Down and Out in Malibu, Part 1, which had an original air date of September 26th, 1987. I think we're ready to jump on in. Let's face the facts with Dominic Rothbard. Well, welcome to the show, Dominic Rothbard. Hi. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. Matthew is also here on hand. Hello. So my fans knew that I was here. You're welcome. <laughs> well, this is this is really a treat. I wanted to do something a little bit special for the season opener for the beginning of season nine, the final season. So uh, before we actually get into the show, I typically ask my guest uh, what type of relationship they have with the show. Well, I already know you are so obsessed with the facts of life that you, right at the same time I did, had this idea of doing a podcast to obsess over it. So uh, why don't you fill us in, bring us up to speed to how you grew up with the show that it brought upon this obsession. Okay, well, Jill, I'm going to start the rivalry right here and say, technically, it was about four days before you. 
It, it was <laughs> without question. And your first episode was days ahead of my. Hey guys, um, I'm David, and I'm going to start a podcast, and maybe people might listen. So, what uh, are the odds that the universe would gift itself with two <laughs> facts of life podcasts in one week? The universe gifted itself with us. I am so on board with that line of thought. I love it. See, and my thought was when it rains, it pours. Oh. Yeah, it was sure raining that week. Um, I uh, yeah, I I've loved the facts of life since I was a kid, and um, and I watched it when it was new, um, starting around season seven. So kind of like the Beverly Ann years. I think maybe like a little bit of Mrs. Garrett was uh, when I was watching it new, but then it was on USA while it was still new. I believe I I could be wrong, but I think USA was showing some of the earlier ones like right around seasons eight and nine mm-hmm. i think because it was mind-blowing to me how different they looked and how modern and cool things were where you could see like you know like the old wooden house where 400 girls lived together and uh, and it, and it would just be like ah they weeded out the strong ones survived and uh and how they have a lot of hairspray and it's great so I, I I really enjoyed um, those and uh, and just the mystery of trying to piece together what happened where did these girls go who is this boy what is Pippa everything like if it wasn't in order it was very interesting so because uh, it was just a mystery um, I also I grew up with um, well I grew up with four sisters older than me but I have five total one younger so um, it kind of I felt like I was Andy. And, uh, and these, uh, not this episode, cause I never went to camp and I wasn't completely ignored for 45 minutes. Oh, um, we have so much to discuss. Oh my God. Yes. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, no, it, it, uh, I've always just kind of had a fondness for it. It's really one of my favorites. And then, uh, I, I can't remember what it was that I was watching. It was something like, how did this get made? Uh, one of those podcasts. And I found that I, you know, I was like, huh, I would love that for like one of my favorite sitcoms. And then I watched the episode where, um, where Blair dates a boy that might not be all there mentally. And I was like, oh my God, I, I need to talk to somebody about this right now. And there was nobody. And then I was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to make Brit watch this. And then I was like, wait, no, no, no. I'm going to make Brit watch the entire series. And that's, uh, that was the beginning of the facts of facts podcast. And that is my complex relationship with the facts of life. Wow. I love that. Your sweet spot is different than my sweet spot and is different than, um, David's sweet spot. Because my favorite spot now is Edna's edibles. But the thing that brought me there was over our heads and how ridiculous Beverly, like I love Beverly Ann, Beverly Ann. It may be controversial. I don't know what you guys are not fans of Beverly Ann. All right, that's fine. I love Cloris Leachman. And I think this was like my gateway into Cloris Leachman. Like then I saw her as Phyllis after this. And I was like, this woman's hilarious. Uh, I think she's trying her hardest. I think they don't want to write her anything really, but like, the woman can not fold the map like nobody else. <laughs> what were you going to say, Matthew? 
I know. I, I, I think I knew Cloris Leachman from this and then discovered her in Young Frankenstein and things like that. And it was so cool to see. But but my sweet spot is hardcore at episode five or episode one, season five, Edna's Edibles. I was just a mess from seeing that set again. And anyway, anyway, anyway. And I'm one of those like after the Eastland years, I'm like, where the fuck is the show? What happened? And you brought up an interesting point. You said, uh, um, Dominic, that it was like a, a mystery. Maybe that's what part of the appeal of the facts of life is in reruns, is that when you turn it on, you do not know which fucking show you're going to get. So at this point, you and Britt are on a, a hiatus. You, I've said before, smart podcasters take breaks or take a little summer vacation. I don't know why the fuck it never occurred to me to do something like that. Here I've been putting out a show every week for uh, nearly four years now. But the deal is you're uh, you, because you've taken breaks, we, we're, we're much farther ahead of you. Where did you, are you at the end of season five now? Is that where you guys are? We're, we're in the middle of the Kelly Afanado years. Oh, fuck to the no. The Ke- Kelly, you know what? It was, we, we had a couple of episodes with Kelly. And I was like, you know what? I think we need a break. <laughs> no. Yeah. Keep her name out mm. your damn mouth. I hated Ke- when she threatened Blair at the <laughs> oh, register. No. And through that jar of pickles on the floor. Oh, I, I, I was like, I outrageous. Now the whole place is going to smell like pickles. There's glass everywhere. She's the worst. And then yeah. her house, her apartment. First of all, I want to live there. And I need to know what she was playing on that stereo. What royalty free, <laughs> like haircut 100 instrumental she was playing. But oh. I love uh, her house and I hate her. Yeah, agreed. One hundred and fifty thousand percent. Yeah, her apartment looked like, wasn't it like the Jeffersons meets one day at a time or so? No, no. Yes, but like a little bit more high tech. It would be like the next level of that apartment. Same yeah. building they just renovated. Yeah, it had been set designed by um, the Price is Right, circa nineteen eighty four. Like here's a stereo with a glass opening door, like that kind of thing. I loved it. I loved it. I hated her jean shorts. I'll never forget them. Uh, okay, well, we boys. can't we can't wait to meet Kelly too, otherwise known as Pippa this season. So at this point, to jump ahead, to leap ahead from uh, Kelly What's Her Cunt to season nine, episode one, that is a that is a quantum leap for you to suddenly land in this. What what did it feel like to be in Cloris Leachman over our heads land? It felt bizarre because I had actually told myself that when I was doing the podcast, I wouldn't jump ahead. I wouldn't watch any episodes that weren't uh, the next one in line. Um, But then with this such a lengthy break and then this opportunity to come on and talk with you guys, uh, I was like, all right, I'm going to break my rule. And it is a whiplash. It is crazy. Now, um, I feel like Lisa Welchel's acting is she's got it down to such a science um uh unlike the rest of them i really do feel like she is doing the same exact thing she was doing back then and it's funny it's she's just she's just amped up the comedy of it whereas um it still does feel like they don't know what to give to well it's they've been writing kid stuff for her and 
now it's like, oh, she's 19. How do we, how do we write adult stuff for her? And in this, I think it's in the second part where we get some, dare I say, black humor out of her. Where My they goodness, don't typically yes. go there, but we do get a couple of those like, ooh, ooh, we... We typically, one of the commendable things about the show is they typically didn't always go for racial stuff when it came to two. They did this time. Now, one of them I really thought made me cringe, but one of them unfortunately made me laugh. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't even remember them. I'll, I'll find them in my copious notes. And uh, so how about we get to it? And do you want me to do some nuts and bolts here? And then we can actually start talking about the show. Yeah, do you nuts. Yeah, thank you. Okay. Uh, this is season nine, episode one, Down and Out in Malibu, part one, original air date, September 26th of 1987. FYI, part two originally ran the following week. So this was never a special one hour episode. It was always in two parts from its very inception. The episode was written by Martha Williamson. This is her sixth of eight episodes as a writer. She would go on to be the head writer and executive producer for Touched by an Angel, which ran for nine seasons and 211 episodes. And she's also at the helm of the Signed, Sealed, Delivered franchise of TV movies and a short run series that's been on the Hallmark Channel since 2013. And uh, she's to this day a consulting producer on Young Sheldon. She wrote one of our favorite episodes, Concentration. That's the one with Blair with the uh, Holocaust survivor on the elevator. Uh, and she wrote uh, several episodes that we did not like at all, including, and, and, and these are all from season eight, from last season, Another Room, where Blair falls through the wall of the attic, which is somehow miraculously next to the bedroom now. We had Off-Broadway Baby, the one where Tootie auditioned for the Broadway show. And we met Cinnamon, played by the wonderful Stacy Q. How do you not like that one? Uh, oh, <laughs> have a listen to our show about it, and you'll know. I've I've got about ninety minutes of of re response to that. It's 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 out there in the ether. And then uh, also, season eight, episode fifteen, "A Star Is Torn," which is the return of Cinnamon. So Martha Williamson wrote both of the Cinnamon episodes. Martha Williamson is an American hero if she wrote both the cinnamon episodes. Okay, sure. We'll, we'll go with that. That um, is true. The episode was directed by John Boab. He is the in-house director. He will be directing 20 of the 24 episodes in this season. Three of them will be directed by Valentine Mayer, who has directed previously for this. And one of them will be directed by Marion Deaton, Marion Deaton has also directed. This is the associate director for 92 episodes, uh, pretty much all the final four seasons. Marion Deaton was the associate director. So we're, we're kind of like John Boab must have called out sick that week, which is why they got Marion. But anyway, so that's the nuts and bolts. Dominic, now is the time in the show where we like to put our guest on the spot oh. and ask if you would provide a one to two sentence synopsis of the episode as a whole. And I'm only talking part one right now. If you oh, could provide a brief TV guide synopsis, very, very quick. And uh, if it does go too long, Matthew will judge you. I do need I to warn you. Now, Dominic knows exactly what we're looking for. After breaking her leg and getting mugged, Joe takes a job 
house sitting Richard Mole's beach condo where she and the girls from Eastland quickly destroy it. Yeah. <clears throat> Very good. Professional writer, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. That is how you do it. Thank you so much. I check. <laughs> That's interesting. All I had down was um, this episode. Andy goes to camp. And <laughs> <laughs> some other stuff happens. Uh, yeah. I, I had down. Andy goes to camp in September. Like you do. You know, but also, like, what was the time frame of Andy going to camp? I can't, I can't do the math with Joe broke her leg before Andy went to camp. Joe's leg's still broken, but she's now moved back. And then Andy's coming back from camp. What was it like, like a week long camp? I think it was a week long camp. Yeah. I think oh. I, I gather the girls were out there the better part of a week. And wild week, or less than I should say, less than a week because they were there. Well, they go out there, and then once Joe comes clean, they say, Well, we can't stay here. And then it's like, Well, okay, one night, and then the next day is when they do the the, the big montage of Malibu in LA. So that's literally the second day, the greatest montage ever made. Oh my god. Yes, we, we we'll, we'll get there. We will yes. so get there. Uh, the answer then, is yes. The answer is yes. Yes. So there, there was a big. I believe Matthew, you texted me last night, didn't you? Just saying, I have so many questions. Oh, and and the time frame isn't even on my list. So, <laughs> okay. Now remember, we had just left off at the end of season eight with what clearly felt like a series finale. Do you remember that show? Dominic, where Joe goes off to L.A. The last thing is Joe goes off to L.A. Tootie is off doing summer stock and Natalie's going to start school again. And Blair got into law school. It was kind of a everything was, for the most part, tied up neatly into a bow. Wrapped and up. we're pretty sure that it was yeah. because when they filmed it, they didn't know if they were coming back. I think they thought they weren't. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. But then by the time post-production hit they were like oh we're, we're renewed okay put to be continued at the end of it that's what they ended up doing with a sense of the series isn't over yet come back in the fall but this is so this is there to be continued it, it's such a wasted like i was shocked by how they just took like all of the storylines that they were building first of all they reiterate them all in the beginning before mm -hmm. we before we we have just Tootie just talking to Jeff being like, oh, so we're still codependent? Okay, cool. I'm, yeah. I'm, not, allowed to, <laughs> I'm not allowed to kiss anybody on stage. Well, that'll ruin my yeah. career as an actor, but okay, sure. Did you ever learn how to read? Uh, people are wondering this in the future. Did you ever learn how to read, dude? Anyway, okay, doesn't matter. You're my boyfriend. I love you. Bye. You can't read mustards. That's for sure. <laughs> um <laughs> And uh, and then Blair recounts. Uh, they find Blair finds her her catchers. Joe's catchers met for Andy's camp trip, and yeah. then recounts that Joe brought that to senior prom. What the hell is that? But Joe, I believe we saw Joe in softball gear once, maybe twice, and of course the lesbianic overtones were were not missed by this by this group. But uh, I. 
softball wasn't a thing that not like, you know, oh, her precious catcher's mitt, you know, the, that was weird too, but it was trying to, the other thing about this episode, and this is a more general note, this and the second part, the writing kept vacillating between the Joe and Blair that we love, where it's like, they're different, but they're friends versus all of this fake animosity, this, ah, Joe's not around anymore. I didn't see her. She wasn't in her bed this morning. Isn't it wonderful? It's like, no, we know you miss your girlfriend, girl. It's, you know what I'm saying? How often the, this, it would just kind of go back to this lazy, well, we need a joke here. Well, let's make it a Blair. You're That's such a life they would never. <laughs> so, uh, Anyway, yeah, there are just so many questions. But of course, the first thing we have to do at the top of every season, Dominic, we get to talk about the girls' hair and how they look. Joe looks like Elvira. (laughs) From certain angles. There's like a side angle where she looks like the big poof and then like, ah. Blair looks amazing. Uh, I mean, I'm rocking a mullet today in in honor of this. I don't know if you can see. I see your mullet. It looks just like Andy's mullet because Andy is clearly picking up where Joe and George Clooney left off with uh, Andy's got some length in the back. He's, he's almost looking like a Rick Schroeder there. Okay. I have a question about the Andy, the opening scene and the final scene. I think we're filmed first, obviously. And then the Malibu stuff was filmed later because I don't know if you noticed um, Blair's hair in the beginning is while it's straight, it's like long and the sides, what did they do to the <laughs> sides of her hair? Like they pulled her hair straight out, glue hair sprayed it. And we're like, there you go. That's yeah. it right there. Mm-hmm. But then when she gets to Malibu, it's like she got her hair cut on the plane. But I also wrote that Joe's hair looks like it did in the Shangri-La-La-La-La-La-La-La's episode. Yes. It does. It's, it's growing into Frizzo's hair. That's so true. Uh, that, getting... It seems like the hairdressers on that show were like, there are two styles. There's mullet and bell. Do you want to be a bell or do you want to have a mullet? Those are your choices. And remember, they just came off of their Emmy nomination. So they were probably getting pretty uppity. And they were like, uh, you know, I don't think I want my hair like this. Oh, really? Well, uh, I have an Emmy nomination that says that is how you're going to wear your hair, bitch. Maybe, maybe that's what's going on here. As the, the season progresses, Joe's hair just gets progressively longer and frizzier. I mean, her the, you see the pictures of her in the wedding dress and you're like, why is her hair down and looks like it's just gone through a blender? I mean, oh, it's not much better when she braids the back mullet part at that one point and it looks like a little rat tail. Yeah. <laughs> not the best. <laughs> oh, that, oof. So um, I really liked how Tootie just gave absolutely no fucks about the fact that Andy was leaving, like at oh. all. It was, she's just no. on the phone, and then Jeff is dumb enough to hear the word goodbye and just immediately hang up. It's like, no, he still can't read mustards. Yeah, <laughs> we have our answer. Uh, Cloris Leachman is rocking uh, a little bit more Spike. She's she's getting her her full Brigitte Nielsen on there. She looks great. I love this hairstyle on it. She does. It's it's a great night. We were talking about how that was like 
Who would, who did you say, uh, Matthew? Lin, Linda Dano. Linda, Linda Dano from, from, is it Attitudes? Was that what that show was? Yes. Attitudes on, on the Lifetime. What was? It was on Lifetime. Lifetime. Oh, man. So, yeah, that sort of thing. I thought of, God, you know, I thought of somebody else who, oh, 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 um, uh, Webster's, the mother on Webster, too. <laughs> Hers wasn't as yes. sticky up spiky, but it was a Susan, what's her name? Mm. Susan Clark. Is that right? Who the hell knows? Mom <laughs> on Webster, you think we have that locked in? I was lucky that I could see the spiked hair. She was like Marshall Wallace with spiked right? hair. Yeah, oh. I was just going to say, she. all I think of is Marshall Wallace. <laughs> well, um, so we've got that. Natalie's hair is back to being a light brown again. She's not rocking the red like she did last season. And I loved the red hair on her. I don't know if it comes back, but it's not as it's not as red. It's it's barely auburn, and she's got it mostly in a ponytail in the back of it. It's not a Natalie looks like she's given up a little bit. I don't know what that's I think about. Wardrobe just gave up on Natalie. Yeah, maybe. And yeah, and Blair actually, I will say, uh, Blair, the volume is a little less in that there are fewer layers. She's got more length. Yeah. But she's got the big poof in the front. The front mm. is where is all the she's party in the front business in the back. One yeah. could argue. Yeah. And it's Lisa Welchel. So it looks fucking gorgeous. Yeah. Every frame. God, she is amazing. Yeah. She is. She really is. Rewatching these. I think she is um, the funniest part of the show. She gives it her all all the time. Mm-hmm. And I think she really created a good character. Not that anybody didn't, but like I could see Kim Fields and Mindy Cohen kind of being those characters. Yeah, and and, uh, and Lisa Welch really just created something very unique. That's uh, that's somehow well, likable gets... and obnoxious at the same time. It's perfect. Well, she gets the chance to show a bit of range because they've got you know this. Joe and her relationship where they are clearly best friends in those wonderful moments where that shows like at the end of the Eastland years, when they have that moment before graduation and you can really see the love between these two people. It's yeah, it's goddamn brilliant. She's I cry whenever I watch the, the Eastland graduation episode right before they go in all pomp. And so I, I cannot get through that scene without crying. It's so beautifully done. Beautifully done. Um, but now let's talk about this episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Can I ask the big question then? If we're going to start talking about this episode, I need yeah. an answer. Do it. Is Joe's leg really broken? I yes. wonder that too. Yes, it is. Is it Dominic? You know this. So I remember hearing stories about the time that they had to write her broken leg into the show. And there's no way this isn't that time because there's no reason for her to have a broken leg. It's the most complicated story ever to begin with without the broken leg. A parasailer <laughs> yes. fucking steals her stuff and flies away and she chases after it and trips over a woman's head who is buried in the sand. What the hell? They clearly had their thing. And it was convoluted enough. And then she walked in with her cast and they were like, uh, great. 
And then they try. They try to utilize it later on in the episode by being like, oh, no, your cast got wet. Let me carry you to the doctor. That shows that I'm a great guy. Sure. That's why we needed this cast this whole episode. Just having her waddle in there at the end of the thing. Like, I'm back, guys. With No. This, this was absolutely her cast. And they had to do their best to write it in. And they really... This whole episode, by the way, this episode could be called this should have been an email because even though there were no emails, the concept of getting Joe back home did not require Richard Maul's house. No. Or multiple no. trips to prison for all of our characters, except for Andy. It's insane. It's ab- ab- none of this. It could have been the episode could have started with Joe walking in with her cast and being like, uh, I lost my job and I got mugged and I and I and I tripped and I fell and I was like I miss you guys so I'm back. Let's have an adventure. What what when are we opening open our over our heads today? Yeah, like, we get the latest fireman calendars. I'll go. I'll go. You know, do the the books. Like they would be fine. It would have been fine. We would have all been like, cool. Joe's back. Yeah, that was a brief explanation, but at least it wasn't this. I wrote down my big note at the end was we deserved better for a season opener. Oh, yeah. And I think they thought they were giving us something extraordinary because we got Richard fucking Maul. We got Richard Maul. That guy from that other show is on this show. And that's how we're going to refer to it. That other show. We're not going (laughs) to mention the name of it one fucking time do they not i mean they call him bull do they never actually say night court no they never say the words night court they say the words john larroquette yeah true they do they mention john larroquette and all that no way (laughs) i didn't even notice that but you know it's like um this house belongs to richard mall oh that's bull no it's true (laughs) ha ha there's a joke for you but yeah no this is we deserve better and we deserve more than a two-parter and and let's continue with just no, kind of we deserve less down. less than a i two-parter. know you're right you're right exactly we deserve more by deserving less because we don't just have joe in this thing at least somebody i think it's is it natalie that says joe says i got mugged and she turns and says you like what how the fuck does joe Polnicek get mugged how does any parasail who can just then fly away? Who that just flew away or so? Yeah, it's yeah. I, I guess even Blair says when they're in jail, she says this is. I'm jumping ahead to the second episode where to, to part two where she says, "Huh, well, come out to this coast and the Warner name doesn't mean anything." It, maybe it is they're trying to play play up a yeah. Well, Joe, all your New York street smarts don't work out here on the streets of Malibu. I, I, I fish out there of water. Were, I don't know. There were a couple moments in it where I thought this is almost looking like a backdoor pilot where Joe and Blair are going to live in Malibu. Well, oh. I mean, to be fair, the, around this time of the show, wasn't like every other episode a backdoor pilot. You like <laughs> yeah. never knew what you were going to get. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so, so true. Oh, my God. Yeah. Anyway, but no, no, we don't have that's not all that's going on in this story. If you recall, dear listeners, Joe ran off to be with a guy as well as 
to go and be a part of the uh, the the business. This is the the new job she got in Peekskill. Her guy who hired her, Eric, uh, played by the wonderful Jonathan Perpich. Uh, he and she went out there together. So it was kind of be like, oh, Joe's got a career and Joe's got a fella. Who the fuck is this Paul dude who shows up and is like, I've been calling around police stations. We both lost our job. We started dating at work. It's like, well, was now we know why the company went belly up. Eric, the, Eric started the company and the woman he started with started seeing one of his fucking employees. Yeah. No wonder he couldn't focus on building the business. Paul is dirty. Paul is awful. Just yeah. absolutely <laughs> awful. Yeah. I, I hate his sweater. I hate I hate everything about him. I he I mean beyond before he showed his true colors and the fact that he doesn't know how ceilings work when they're not there. He just is a piece of crap. And I really I hated that yellow sweater that he had. But yeah. um but I mean there's so much unnecessary story here with Joe being mugged. And then <laughs> Richard Mall walking into the police station. You are bypassing one of the most insane aspects of this episode, which is that Joe is like, hey, I got mugged. So could I sleep in the police station overnight? Because she says she's just been drifting on her motorcycle for and I'm gathering for some reason, I've got two weeks here. Yeah, no, it seems like two weeks she lost her job and her apartment simultaneously. I'm not sure. Yeah, so what have you been doing for two? Okay, it's not like you can sleep in your car when your car is a motorcycle. So what? she's homeless. What what has she been doing? And why wouldn't she have just ridden back to fucking peak scale? And why is she spending all of her money on hairspray? Like, (laughs) if this is two weeks into this homeless situation, I get you want to look your best, but so true. it seems oh like my this is expensive maintenance. Oh I have, I love Dominic. I love you. I have to keep um, deleting my notes because I'm like, for being homeless for two weeks, her hair still looks great. <laughs> Does it though? Does it look great? But it looks, for 1987. Yes, oh. it looks hard. It looks it looks firm. <laughs> But this guy, Paul, uh, the actor's name is Sandy Simpson, by the way. Very uh, working character actor, 34 credits in a 38-year career, including sitcoms and soaps and voice work and all that. Um, The thing is, uh, you say when he shows his true colors, which is in the next part. In this part, it's always like, what happened to us, Joe? He, He comes to her as though they have this relationship that we don't know anything about. And he's like, what happened to us? And she basically says, you were seeing other women. And I didn't want to be with a guy who was seeing other women. And then he is all, I only want to see you the time away. I want to see with you move in with me, move in with me, move in with me. And he's so obsessive about it. It's like, what, what the shit dude. Well, she's just been homeless for two weeks. If I barely knew her, I'd be like, move in with me, move in with me. You've been homeless. You're sleeping on a bike. You chose jail. Just you could sleep on the couch and we'll figure this out. Clearly, you couldn't have called Eric. Clearly, Eric couldn't have put you up after you you jilted him. (laughs) All of Los Angeles hate her. Like all of California, Malibu, everywhere is just like, you're a bad person. We're not going to let, there's not one person she's connected with that could let her sleep for a night 
She's just gotta. She's just gotta have Johnny Dark arrest her. So yeah, sleep in the prison. You know that's um, that's uh, the guy who runs the pizza place from just the ten of us. I was so excited to see his face. Yeah, Johnny Dark plays the cop. Yeah, he was also the um. Uh, Johnny, the oldest CBS page on The Late Show with David Letterman. He did a recurring bit and was also a regular actor that uh, Letterman would bring on. He's got a lot of uh, those credits. Yeah, Johnny Dark, as I forgot to write down the character's name, but uh, the one thing I'll give the show credit for is, you know, the logical things that I need to at least know that they were putting any thought into it. The fact that in this part, it's one cop, and in the second part, it's a different cop. And they're like, well, where's the first cop? He knows my situation. And it's like, he's on vacation. You're, you're so shit out of luck. He's camping like, for two weeks. He can't even be called. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's, uh, I think he's a chaperoning a group of boys from Peekskill, New York, including this horny kid called Andy with a mullet. But, uh, it's the Bates yeah, oh, boy. You're not really, you're not really into the Andy years yet. Have you, is Andy on the show yet where you are? No, Andy is not on the show yet. Do you remember how horny he was? Oh yeah. Oh, all he wanted God. was tits in the face. I know. <laughs> Wasn't that like a whole subplot? <laughs> all he wanted. He's like, oh, I'll take care of things. And it's like, oh, maybe I'll call up some stewardesses. <laughs> over, and and it's like, you know, oh, I don't want to go to this spot. It's like there are big Swedish masseuses there. It's like what? And it's like what? <laughs> Yeah, you you have a, a whole beautiful land of of prepubescent underage horniness to navigate that My we've favorite. already been dealing with. <laughs> Who doesn't love it? Um, <laughs> so can we talk about the score of this episode? Because I think this is right around when it kicks in. The score? Oh, please do. Yes, yes, please do. It's like. So it's like it's, it's I don't think they ever use it again. I mean, I know you're you're in season nine, but it feels like they're like, oh, let's make people think they're watching Night Court by having that is like, exactly what? Night Court inspired, and it just was so awkward and out of place. And I feel like it was written just for the show because they used every inch of it. Like these are like long musical cues that it's like we're just gonna pan across the house. Oh yeah, and um, yeah. So when Richard Mole enters, we get like a lot of it, and uh, and it was really jarring. But um, Richard Mole is so attractive to me. You think so? <laughs> He's exactly my type, like a giant mountain of a person. Um, with a big dumb face, Matthew, you were going to say something about the music before before we get the vapors over Richard Mall. What were you going to no, say? That's exactly what we did, and it's it, that's exactly what they did was they made it night clerk music. But this that's a perfect segue to the fact that the applause for Richard fucking Mall was longer than the applause for Lucy on her final performance at the Oscars. For Christ's sake! <laughs> Remember when she walked out with fucking Bob Hope? and stood there for about 18 minutes. Mm. Yes. Well, this is Richard Mall. Come on, guys. <laughs> he is NBC royalty in 1987. Are you kidding me? And I would have accepted Dan Larroquette. He had won five Emmys for that part on Night Court. For That's why he say. wasn't doing this shit. Uh, exactly. He was too big for it. They, they probably approached my- him and he was like, <laughs> fuck, dude, go fuck yourself. I'm an Emmy where, winner. Where was Selma Diamond? <laughs> was she Where dead was at this she? point? 
Then they oh, wouldn't have had to put anybody on a box so they could be filmed together, for God's sake. <laughs> little, poor little five foot three um, Lisa Welchel. Mm-hmm. But um, oh, this is, brings up a, a good point. Night Court ran 84 to 92. So at this point, we're at the beginning of season nine of The Facts of Life. They would be just beginning season five. And I believe by season five, we already had Marsha Warfield, didn't we? <laughs> that sounds right. I know there was two little women and then it became Marsha Warfield. I feel like each of the little women got like two seasons. So by five, I think we are in Marsha yeah, Warfield. Yeah, at then. most. So I think we're already up to Marsha Warfield. So yeah, let's talk about Richard Maul. So Dominic, he is your type. You're into extremely tall men or extremely like Neanderthal looking dudes or bald dude. What's what's the deal? All the above, man. Okay. Um, sure. I, there's like a big dumb and my boyfriend's in the, against the, in the other room. Yeah, <laughs> uh, he's also very large and not um, not dumb at all. You but, like him uh, big and stupid, and so, I do. Okay, I do. That's hey. if I had a if I had a choice. And and let me just say, when they whip out his jockstrap, I just as a fan oh. myself, and it was like they yellowed it. Or something. Like, <laughs> it did not look clean. It did look used. It did look. It looked starched. Like it looked like it. Yeah. It did like no, it, it looked like the something I would pay like twenty nine ninety nine on OnlyFans for. Like thank you for mailing me that, <laughs> Richard Mall. And yeah. I'm like, and it looked. I'm sorry. I know Richard Mall is a large man. Again, six foot eight. He's a very large. That jockstrap, Lisa Welch holding. It looked like it belonged on Lou Ferrigno or something. Yeah. Or no, it was very large. Wow. And you and used in a way like the pouch was was stretched. I felt and yeah. I mean starched, David. I mean you know what'll make a jockstrap <laughs> nice and nice and <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, also, and I just thought about this just now, but like, wouldn't it? Wouldn't this have been a better intro for this? Nancy McKeon gets into like a accent she's on her bike and and uh and she runs into richard mall who's such a behemoth that she falls off her bike breaks her ankle he's fine he needs a house sitter she has a broken ankle let's do this i owe you a face that would have made much more sense same jail situation but that would have made too much sense are you telling me you don't buy that richard mall would hand his house key to someone who's still in jail. Yeah. Because I don't find that Richard Ball would be like, hey, hey, uh, police station, I'm going out of town. So could you just like watch my house? Like, I don't find that. I don't find Joe being <laughs> like, hey, police station, I was mugged two weeks ago and I need a place to do my hair for six hours in the morning. Can I stay here? I don't buy any of this. This is all just so insane. There's so much suspension of disbelief and we are in the first scene. We are, Exactly. We are so, we have so much uh, more to cover here. Um, so the, the, this all leads up to Joe has asked Blair to send her money. And here's the interesting thing. This is where I was talking about. We have that lazy writing of Joe and Blair hate each other. They're fighting. Where we really are with their relationship is the phone rings and Joe is like, yeah, hi, Tootie. Go fuck yourself. I need Blair. And Blair gets on the phone. She's like, I need you to send me some money. And Blair's like, done. No questions asked. I I love love that moment. That was great. And then that she shows up like you do. 
You just show up. Instead of wiring the money to the address, she shows up in person. Was this the next day or was this, when was, when did it, she show up? It was the next day. Joe had stayed over. So she to, stayed overnight in jail and now it's the daytime and she's like, I'm still going to hang out in jail. Well, well, no, Joe, I guess Joe needs this, this poses, this brings up other questions in part two, but uh, the idea is somehow, what did Joe need? Did Joe just need money? No, no, I can't, I can't, I, uh, I can't money make it make sense. Money was being sent to the police station. So Joe needed to be there to get it. However, she did not need to be locked up. She could have gone and got a coffee. She didn't need bail. Because the cop said, uh, you know, she's like, I got no place to stay. Could I stay here? And he's like, no, you're, you know, I have no reason to put you in jail. But then she says, I guess I'll go sleep on the beach. And he takes pity on her and says, well, if I were to catch you sleeping on the beach, the penalty for that would be a night in jail. So, uh, yeah, Joe is behind. The, I, I don't know. Other than just she has lost her purse, her money, her ID. She just needs some cash. I think that's the reason why Blair was contacted. Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. Just like in the next morning, she could have gotten up and been like, all right, thanks for letting me sleep here. Let me out. And I'm just going to come back and get my money. But she's like, I'm just going to sit in the cell all day. Well, she sent Blair that address. So she was waiting for like a wire to arrive or a or a candy gram worth a few hundred dollars. Why can't Blair use a bank? (laughs) I... Dude, we've Blair's finances are a riddle wrapped in an enigma in a, whatever that saying is. It's but, truly like they just don't have banks in this scenario at all, yeah. because this happens a couple of times where you could have just transferred the money. But no, I'm going to bring it by whatever. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, in their defense, I started college in 86 and ATM cards were kind of a new thing in in 86 and not all places not all atms took the same like they just didn't work now they all work but they charge you but sure but the bank transfer works like you can just go into yeah you can do a bank transfer but that would have meant that it probably honestly it probably would have taken days if if blair had showed up and said well, I was going to wire the money, but it would have taken four full days. I just figured it was easier to come here and hand you cash and then fly home. I guess that actually I would, would have made that. sense for 1987. We'll put that in the time machine for the writers, along All with right. your story, Dominic, about running into Richard Ma- Way better, way better premise. Jesus. It's easier to do and explaining yeah. all of this nonsense. But with the arrival of Blair and finding Joe in jail... We get Matthew's favorite thing, Dominic. Uh, Matthew, tell us, tell us, share everybody. We can't have it be that easy, Dominic, because then we wouldn't have needed five minutes of Joe sitcom lying. Sitcom lying is the bane of Matthew's existence. And honestly, uh, I didn't think much of it myself until we did the podcast. And now I detest it as much <laughs> as he does. I don't like it either. I know exactly what you're talking about. So, Never been one of my favorites. And it's so unnecessary here. Yeah. So now, granted, performance-wise, Nancy McKeon is a little better than average. So she's not doing a, this is uh, my house. Yeah, that's the ticket. And that list is for my, uh, my maid. And at least there was some sense of whatever. But again, 
It's Blair. Joe, you just called her to borrow money. You've been friends for seven years. Uh, how would you not be able to, you know, that whole thing of, well, I didn't want you to think I went out to Malibu and I blew it. It's like, girl, she's watched you fail so many times <laughs> and you've watched her fail so many times. How yeah, is no, this I, the place that your friendship is right now after all this time? Even 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 Joe says in the episode at one point, it's like, I don't even know how we got here with this lie. Like, <laughs> Good. Because yeah. they're a boyfriend. Like, I don't yeah. even know why I'm doing it. It's because the writers don't know. That was one of the writers dictating. And they didn't realize the writer wasn't dictating anymore. They just put it down <laughs> in the thing. But what's interesting is when Joe does finally come clean after, by the way, after Tootie, Natalie, and Beverly Ann show up too and which, try to break in. Uh, yeah. Just ring the fucking doorbell. <laughs> I ugh, don't even. Call. We just saw Blair talking to Tootie. There's got it. So we know that they're reachable. They can yeah, contact exactly. each other. There are no so cell phones, say, hey, but people are reachable. Yes. We're about to go get on an airplane, the, the, the three of us. And don't be scared when we show up. We're not yeah. even asking for permission because we're beyond that. I just know it's that we're coming. Richard Mall rings the doorbell when he gets home <laughs> at the end of the episode at his own house. But these fucking, <laughs> these four bitches are out here trying to fucking key themselves in with a credit card for Christ's sake. Oh my God. But that's such a sitcom logic thing of the, again, in the sitcom world, they're like, well, they're just going to be going from that sound stage to this sound stage across the way. Like they don't think that, okay, they had to, pack luggage they had to get on a flight a flight from Peekskill to LA and that how did they get from I get probably took a cab who the fuck paid for all these plane tickets by the way they didn't even get off the soundstage that was just a redressed over our heads oh, oh I'm sure yeah the shape I, I agree with thing. Matthew that they filmed the beginning and the end as one unit and then said okay strike it and bring out the Richard Mall set put some other sets in front of them totally 100 percent so with all of them in L.A., Andy's away at camp. Beverly Ann, Blair, Joe, Tootie. Now, uh, what's the question I'm going to ask, Matthew? <laughs> Who's minding the store? <laughs> if you knew, Dominic, how many times? You, you know you can ask that often in the Edna's Edible seasons. In the over our heads, it is in fucking sane how that store just seems to not exist. And yeah. back to Joe, why didn't you go back to Peekskill? Where you own a business! You are a co-owner! It's like... I'd rather be homeless and not even call my ex-boyfriend to see if he has a couch. I'd rather <sighs> go to jail for fun, recreational prison, <sighs> rather than go to, like, you know, the business I own that has a house attached to it for me to sleep uh, in. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's thing. The Another Room episode where Blair falls through the attic, what, what precipitates that whole thing and then the building of that other inner bedroom is Joe going, yeah, I don't have enough time to myself here and it's just so busy, so I think I'm going to try to find a place of my own. We're like, you don't have a pot to piss in. You're a, a student on scholarship. 
uh, do they know that you're a part owner of Over Our Heads? You now have an income, girl. You may not qualify for those scholarships anymore. I think she's been duping Langley University and is going to be presented with a sizable bill any moment now. But <laughs> that's just where my brain goes. Uh, I like it. But the point I've been, uh, I wanted to make sure I didn't forget to make was that after the commercial, finally, when Joe fesses up, and it's pretty much after Paul is like, come on, move in with me. I love you. Let's do it. Uh, that's when she comes clean with the girls. And to their credit, there is no talk of, why the fuck would you lie? What is the, you know, you, you wish there had been almost a little bit more of, do you think that we care so little about you that we would give a shit about thinking you're a failure and all that. Literally she fesses up, tells them the whole situation. And what does the conversation go to? Well, do you really like this guy? Well, how long have you been seeing him? Well, where's he going to live? You know, how does he, does he like to decorate? Does he like shag carpeting or does he have popcorn ceilings? Does he, I mean, for, is it a two bedroom or a three bedroom? You know, girl, you really should. It, it immediately went to the man. Th that yep. was the that's all the that really... matters oh you lied to us cool it was probably man related then i i totally forgive you and i'm not concerned <laughs> yes man related um, I, I, lying. Do, I do want to jump back just one second when please Blair do meets paul and goes you must be joe's fella and he says i like to think so then blair goes he's witty too is he how is that wit? <laughs> and also, what is the two? Because this is the only thing you've said about him or heard about him. He's witty too. All right. Is, is he handsome? Because he's not. We saw him. But oh shit. <laughs> but he's also he's he there's nothing witty about I like to think I'm Joe's fella. Yeah. Oh, you and are fucking. I can't remember if something bro. was cut in the syndicated version. <laughs> And we all watch the DVD version, the long version. Dominic, you have the DVDs, obviously. Yes, I watched um, the DVD. Yeah. The cuts for the syndicated version were just little nips and tucks. And sadly, the montage does suffer quite a bit for the edit for the, best the syndicated. Part of that was uh, agreed. So, yeah, so there was nothing missing there. My first thought was maybe something was, you know, oh, and he's witty too. You're right. It's like, um, no, we're just trying to cram an awful lot into this one episode. Another cut that I've noticed, which I know we're jumping ahead, but just to keep be mindful when we get to it, is when uh, Richard Mull shows up at the house mm -hmm. and Blair hears something and then goes to see him. The, it's like the audio jumps. It's so it's such a weird, abrupt cut. Ser they clearly were doing some kind of bit with like maybe a misunderstanding. Oh. I don't know if it was like Blair didn't recognize Bull or something because each when you watch it, it is jarring i watched it twice and oh. the second time i put my headphones on and just listened and like they cut some audio out of it there was clearly like a laugh that they were like erase that we don't want people to know there was something that happened i did not notice that now i have to watch it again sorry please don't make me watch it again <laughs> dominic Come i apologize on. <laughs> um anyway sorry to have gone back about that but yeah no it's uh, fine um, that's fine um let me see. We're we're honestly we're we've covered a lot of ground and a lot of my notes here. Um, um. Well, how about when they go outside for a really long time so that uh, Paul can give Joe all the details of their life that they already know? Oh, like, yeah. The exposition like, of yeah. Correct me uh, if I'm wrong, Joe. You moved out to L.A. and we started <laughs> dating at our place of work, and things were and going they do it great for but, so long. And then he's like, "I think you should move out." 
move in with me. And then that's your commercial break. And then we come back and then they're catching us up just in case we came in on the commercial break. And they're yeah. like, like saying it all over again. And I'm like, is Blair taking like a giant dump at this point? What is she <laughs> doing alone in this apartment for this long? Um, so true. So, yeah. So anyway, so yes. Um, now my notes are caught up to Tootie putting her dirty feet on the coffee table just after she flew across country. <gasps> like, wash those feet first. Matthew has an issue with that too. When people put their feet up, and oh, and he hates it when they sit on the counter at the store. He loses yeah. his fucking mind. That's my pet peeve. Yeah. Um, He's like, and get the girls, your ass off the counter. The girls plan to stay there for a solid week. Yeah, because Andy's away at camp, and then school doesn't. Then she says, "And school doesn't start." It's like, and we don't have the business. <laughs> yeah, and we don't have a business that needs to be open. For any reason. Well, maybe George will look after that. No, George is on the road with cinnamon. We don't have a backup that even these two queens 35 years in the future could maybe hypothesize how the fuck this business is running. And and why um, there's no surprise later in the season when Beverly ends like, you know, the store really isn't turning a profit. <laughs> we, we stopped opening it up and I think we might need to start opening it up again if we yeah. want to well, make no, money they, cl- they closed the store remember to build bedrooms for Andy and Pippa oh yeah that's right Yo, that that I know I, I just meant like at this point it's like time. yeah the store really hasn't been turning a profit it's like gee I wonder why maybe if you fucking opened once in a while but uh, uh, so then uh, but right before the, the greatest montage of all time ever when um there, uh, Joe's like, this isn't my place. She finally fesses up, and they're like, okay, we'll go stay in the saddest motel ever. And Blair's like, I'll stay in a fancy one and not invite you to it. <laughs> Why? We have talked so much about if Blair is so stinking fucking rich. Why was it even an issue with Edna's edibles and the, well, you know, we really need a place to stay in Tootie and Natalie. You could, We're just like, we have said how many times, Matthew, why didn't Blair just buy a fucking house that they all could live in and then four years later or however long, then just sell it? And and like this, the same thing. It's like, well, Blair flew out on her own. Who? How did the girls all pay for their airline tickets to get here? And then, like you said, Blair's like, well, I'll stay the night. So it's like, bitch, this is your family. And you are supposed to be stinking rich that this it wouldn't even matter to you. Next week, you're going to talk like 15 grand is nothing. Yeah. Those plane tickets can't be cheap. That was a last minute decision. Oh, mm-hmm. fuck no. Oh, my God. No, it was <laughs> probably thousands. I'm, uh, uh, to, 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 let's 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 stop getting frustrated by trying to apply logic to this and move on to after Tootie and Natalie talk about how much they enjoy the hot tub. Let's let's talk a bit about this. Amazing. Let's go see L.A. montage. Joe almost missed out on this montage because she doesn't think as a house sitter she's allowed to leave the house alone. And apparently she was right. Correct. Yep. <laughs> but I'm glad that she made it, even if it ruined Richard yeah. Mole's life. But they did play up the fact that Joe being in the cast wasn't able to do as much as the other girls. And there is one point, this is not in the syndicated version, where they've all been out cavorting and gallivanting and then they come back and joe is holding the roller skates and the hat she's just the person that's been holding the stuff and she's a man throwing it back at him Mm -hmm. uh but blair shopping 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 
absolutely right. She like steal a shopping cart from Ralph's supermarket or something. Pushing like, a shopping cart down Rodeo Drive. I mean, Blair. hilarious, but come on. It looks like you're a homeless person. It does. <laughs> it looks like there's like microwaves in there because the, the footage is a little grainy and like it's a bunch of boxes that are black from fancy stores. And I was like, is it like a, a small TV and a microwave? Uh-huh. Um, at one you, point, you know what I always take on my trips whenever I'm going to a new city and somebody says, let's go sightseeing. I don't leave the hotel without the skates that I have clearly packed to bring with me to California. You know, because I think what can make my my luggage heavier? Ooh, those roller skates are over yeah. there. And you but never it's going to be worth it when you get into that skating competition with those strangers. <laughs> you were almost beaten by Natalie in an electric wheelchair. Uh, Why didn't they put Joe in the wheelchair? Hello? Right? That's all I could think. Hello. <laughs> and at one uh, point they get into a limousine and Beverly Ann pops her head out of the, the sunroof and it's all like, oh, we're fancy in California. And then they get out the other side of it like it's a fucking Mentos commercial. It's like, oh. Did they invent that bit? I think it does predate the Mentos commercial. I think it does. They invented that. Yeah. Though they did do it in Hello, Dolly, the movie in 1968. Yeah. They did true. do it. Yeah. Um, How about of... the score getting super racist when they get to the Chinese theater? Oh. Mm-hmm. We, we suddenly take a, a very strong turn towards the Asian. Yeah. When we get to the Chinese theater. Yeah. Um. That's where Tootie sees Eddie Murphy's. She's like at like dick level with Eddie Murphy on her <laughs> knees and just looks up. Yeah, she looks up at a person and loses her mind. And it's like, it's probably a lookalike and he's probably looking for a tip. He's a foot alike. Um, a what? As Eddie Murphy would do, he stepped into his footprints yeah. at Chinese theater. Yeah. And Blair showing up in a Mickey Mouse visor. What a lovely little nod. What a lovely little salute. also got crazy then, too. Yeah, because they showed the Donald Duck footprints and Joe put her cast in Donald Duck's foot thing. That was kind of cute, actually. That was cute. And then uh, Natalie discovers a plus-size shirt shop. <laughs> <laughs> Everything's in my size! I can't freak out enough! Oh. <laughs> <sighs> Oh, never a fat joke about Natalie. Never, ever. But things like that we've talked about. Um, it's a sad search shop, too. It did not look like a store. It was like one of those warehouses in the garment district that like opens up for two hours and everything's a quarter. And maybe that's what it was. She was very excited by the deals. She was very excited. She was just like, yeah. I can finally dress myself for once. I don't have to wear these Donald Duck shirts. <laughs> Um, Tootie has also put tape over one of the Hollywood Boulevard stars. And so it says Tootie Ramsey, like she's going to be so famous someday. She's going to have a star on the walk of fame. But they pass by Julie Andrews star like meh and stop for a long time on Judy Holiday. Really? Yeah. They yeah. were like, yeah, Julie Andrews, Judy Holiday. <laughs> In uh, 1987. I Whoa. Jeez. I really liked uh, Joe competing with the juggler for who had the best mullet. Uh, true. I think she won, honestly. She definitely won. Um, uh, Beverly Ann is posing for a portrait that we never see in, in a, a, an audience of people that is clearly 
just people there that they said, hey, you want to be in a TV show? Like you can tell that they were, this was just literally, oh, hey, Cloris Leachman's over there with the film crew. What's happening? And it's a dude in a wheelchair doing a portrait and she's posing. And then we never see any, we never see the, 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 they never hand her later a prop of a caricature or something. It's just like, wait, huh? Sounds like a lost bit. Like there was a punchline that they were like, eh, it doesn't work. Take it out. Uh, yeah. Because the artist looked like a guy that would sit on the pier and do caricatures for $5, who was looking at this woman going, I have no idea who the hell she is. The blank <laughs> stare on his face cracked me up. <laughs> it's like, definitely not an actor. The mom from Webster? <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say the caricature looked too much like Susan Clark. Yes. <laughs> Then the last thing that I have in my notes for this montage was that Blair was being an absolute hike whore. Uh, Yeah. She was on the handlebars of all these bikes with all these dudes and then ended up walking off with one of them. It's like, where are you going? You're going to the the public restrooms? I mean, where are you walking arm in arm? And we've talked about that. Who walks arm in arm? That is literally a TV and movie trope of something that people literally do not ever do unless they're standing in front of a priest getting married. Uh, Well, that was, um, that montage was honestly worth the price of admission. I loved everything about it. Yeah, we just shat all over it. It was awesome. Make no mistake. It was great to see our girls doing all the touristy LA stuff. And, And interesting to note that they, you know, this is actually where they live and where the show was taped. They just had to go down the street a little ways. I'm still fascinated by whatever that like electric chair on wheels that Natalie was in. I don't understand how we got there, but I, I would like to know more info. Yeah, no, but, it was a puzzle to me too, really. Uh, so then after the montage, they come home, the house is full of water, just as they realize they left the hot tub filling up like they never turned off the faucet, I guess, and it doesn't have an auto drain function like most tubs and sinks and pools well, have. Well, we learned that it did, and it was a faulty one. Oh, true. So true. You are correct, sir. Uh, but anyhow, the last image is them all screaming as literally the ceiling caves in and a big gigantic water dump happens in front of them before they roll the credits. And I have to admit that was taking it from a, Oh my God, what would, what would I do in that situation? Like it, it, it is horrific. It really is. It is. It is. It's it me agita, but they I don't, think. they underplay it. Yes. They're like, huh? Okay. Like yeah. that's almost how they Oh, look, there's some the there's floor. 6 inches of water on the floor. What is that? Huh? I'm going to go look up the stairs. Like, wow, there's something peculiar in yeah, it's in our not midst. until Natalie realizes it could be her fault and her Jewish guilt kicks in. She's like, "Oh my god, the hot tub <laughs> that there's any reaction at all." Oh, and then we get the god. closing credits are over a blurry backlit shot of Joe throwing their crap at them. It's such a weird choice. Yeah. And that uh that the the credit still that the credits roll over, that is not in the syndicated version. The syndicated version begins the clip after they've all gotten their stuff from Joe, because that's the last shot before it dissolves back to the house. So that's one of the rare times where they've cut something out in syndication and you watch the end credits and you're like, what the hell is that? So interesting. 
And that brings us to the end of the uh, episode and the end of part one. All right, gentlemen, this has been a, a long and thorough and enjoyable discussion. Do we have any final thoughts before we, we close out this episode? Uh, Richard Mall, call me. Uh, <laughs> he's still, he's, what is he now? Is he, is early? He's like 74 now, isn't he? 80. No. 80. Is he it. really? Holy Can shit. Can he still feel out that jock strap? <laughs> yeah. It's probably much more stiff now. <laughs> but I mean, you know, depends. Oh, <laughs> Jesus. Dominic, you live in LA, correct? I do. That's right. So there are all those clearing houses where they put all the props from the TV shows, all the set pieces and the props. I think you oh, have a new quest. Yeah, ahead of you. You've got to find that, that jock strap prop from this episode. And uh, oh, I can't wait. Yeah. I almost you... did today's podcast in a jock strap. Almost. And I thought, ju- just in honor of Richard Mull and the prop. But then I thought, no, inappropriate. Oh. Well, we wish you had, but that's fine. It's okay. All right. Well, we're going to say goodbye to you now. We do encourage our listeners to also give a listen to the Facts of Facts. And uh, until we reconvene for part two, this has been a joy. Thank you so much, Dominic, for doing this. Smooches and goodbye. Goodbye. Mwah. And there you have it. That was Dominic Rothbard. You can listen to his show, The Facts of Facts, by clicking the link that is in the show notes and on the episode's webpage. As he said, they're on hiatus right now. I think they're through the end of season five, and they're hoping to get back to it soon to complete the series. But in the meantime, you got this, the first crossover episode of Let's Face the Facts and The Facts of Facts. Very, very exciting. We have differing views of what exciting is, clearly. But anyway, next week, Dominic will be back to discuss Season 9, Episode 2, Down and Out in Malibu, Part 2, the exciting conclusion to everything that you heard today. If you want to watch the episode ahead of time, the link is in the show notes and on this episode's webpage. But that is all for now. Thank you so much for listening to this week's show. And remember, the facts of life are all about you. Let's Face the Facts was created, produced, written, hosted, and edited by the wonderful David Almeida. Our theme song was beautifully arranged and recorded by Ned Wilkinson. Please visit facethefactspod.com for supplemental photos and videos, links to social media, and ways that you can support the show. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. This is Matthew Arder saying tune in again next week for another thrilling episode of Let's Face the Facts.